Stu does America, the state of the race. Welcome to the state of the race. It is February 23rd, 2024, 256 days until the general election, 11 days until Super Tuesday, and just one day until the South Carolina primary on the Republican side. Coming up in this episode, we are going to go through all the polls. South Carolina is here. We'll tell you what to expect. And we try to figure out what all this means and where we go from here. But first, we're going to give you the key metrics of the race. And let's start with the net favorability of the two remaining Republican candidates. And as you might expect, Donald Trump has a very high favorability among Republican voters. He's at plus 63.3%. That's a very good number, of course. However, what's gone on with Nikki Haley has been, of course, the opposite. Nikki was up around plus 40 at the beginning of last year. And as the race has gone forward, she has slowly declined and slowly declined and slowly declined. In fact, she's declined all the way down to about plus 20 at the beginning of the year. And since then, she's no longer slowly declining. She's now quickly declining among Republicans. She's now down below a plus 10 and really just slightly in the black, about a plus 5% favorability, plus 5.5% to be exact. This is uh, a big function, not necessarily of her longstanding record in the Republican Party, but instead uh, the direction she's chosen to take, obviously trying to appeal to the foreign policy voters. That's not a surprise from Nikki Haley, but also trying to appeal to now moderate voters and anti-Trump voters. And we're going to get into that strategy a little bit here in just a bit. In the national polls for the Republican primary, as you might be able to guess, it is not a contest. 78% for Trump and only 16% for Haley. And for those who looked at this race and said, well, there's a big field and maybe it needs to get down to a two-person race for this to be competitive, we've seen really no signs of that whatsoever. Now, maybe the numbers would be a little bit better if it was Ron DeSantis instead of Nikki Haley in a one-on-one -on -one matchup. I think that's reasonable to assume but that, there's no reason to assume that DeSantis would be winning that race. This is a Trump party, and we'll get into a little bit more on that here in, in just a second. Uh, also, to look quickly over at the Biden side of this, Joe Biden's approval rating is still below 40% on average, 39.8%. Disapproval, 55.5%. Maybe in a future episode, we'll get into what that usually means for an incumbent candidate. Uh, the hint is that it's not a good thing. Now, this is a terrible approval rating for someone running for re-election. And unless it improves dramatically, almost no candidates are able to win at levels like this. The prediction markets still see Donald Trump as the favorite for the presidential election at 45%. Joe Biden at 40%. And you might say, well, wait a minute. There's only two candidates. There's 15%. Remaining Well, the rest of that percentage is split up between several candidates who, you know, first of all, Robert Kennedy Jr. has a small percentage chance, according to the betting markets. I don't particularly buy that, but that's what the markets are saying. 
And then, of course, there's a couple of other straggler candidates uh, like Kamala Harris and Nikki Haley. You think of the backup candidate to, if one, something happens with one of the top candidates. You know, Joe Biden steps down for whatever reason. Uh, maybe Kamala Harris would be there. The one I'm leaving out, though, intentionally, because it's super high and I would say absurdly high. Gavin Newsom is at 13 percent. Now, I don't really know what the path is for Gavin Newsom. I mean, it would be a stunning development if they passed over a black woman to put, uh, you know, some white guy from California in as the nominee if Biden were to go away. But it really does show the belief that there's a good chance that Joe Biden is not actually the nominee for the Democrats. I have a bet with Glenn Beck on this and I don't want to lose it. So, uh you know, there's a little bit of a hesitation uh, on that uh, belief right now, but certainly with these approval ratings, the danger is there for Joe Biden as a candidate. Let's go to the candidate updates, and we start with Donald Trump. Trump gets a good poll in a couple swing states uh, against Joe Biden. He leads in Georgia 48 to 42 percent, and that's in a head-to-head matchup. When you expand to show third-party candidates... It is Trump 45, Biden 36, a nine-point lead. Kennedy gets 6%, Cornell West and Jill Stein get less than 2% each. Point being there, though, the third-party candidates seem to hurt Joe Biden here as he goes from a six-point deficit to a nine-point deficit when you include those third-party candidates. Over to North Carolina, which is a purple state, probably leans a little bit red. Trump leads 47 to 44 in a head-to-head matchup. But when you throw the third-party candidates, you get Trump 46, Biden 37, and Kennedy at 5%. Again, Biden has a deficit of three points in a head-to-head, but a nine-point deficit with third-party candidates. I mean, this is driving the left crazy right now. I mean, Kennedy's been a Democrat his whole life. Everyone around him is a Democrat. The fact that he's in there... And then you have Cornell West, who is a hardcore leftist, and Jill Stein, who is a hardcore leftist. And all these third-party candidates are pulling from Joe Biden. This is the type of catastrophe they are looking at. And, you know, if some no-labels candidate gets in there and they do the same thing, it may be very difficult for Joe Biden to win this election outside of the performance he's been putting in. I also quickly want to talk about CPAC. It was back in 2016 where Donald Trump was invited to CPAC but dropped out largely because he believed there was going to be a walkout in the middle of his speech. This is at a time in March 2016 where you have a really competitive primary still going on. Cruz is still in the race. There's still a lot of infighting going on. And there was a planned walkout once Trump started to speak. He decided at the last minute to kind of bail on that uh, appearance and go uh, go campaign. I think it was in Kansas at the time. And think of where we come now. I mean, we've come to a place where really almost every candidate and every speaker was a pro-Trump speaker at CPAC. He really runs the show now, uh, Donald Trump. Uh, some of the contenders for his vice presidential nomination, if he were to win the nomination, of course, uh, are all speaking there, a bunch of them. Stefanik's going to be there, uh, Ramaswamy's going to be there, J.D. Vance is going to be there, Ben Carson's going to be there, Byron Donalds, Tulsi Gabbard, Christy Nome, Carrie Lake. I mean, oh, 
This is a Trump-centric party, and if you had any uh, any doubt after hearing the polling in the nationwide Republican primary poll, uh, let that doubt go away, because this is Donald Trump's party right now, and it will be for as long as he is running. Joe Biden uh, is out there as well. He is trying to do something in Michigan, and this is something that's kind of interesting to look at. This is worth a deeper look maybe on a future podcast, but... Biden is uh, right now trailing Trump in Michigan, 45 to 41. It's a very, very important state. Trump wins that state. He probably wins the election. But there's 14% undecided. And part of the reason that you can show a little hesitation in the optimism for Donald Trump in a head-to-head matchup is based around the feelings towards Israel and Joe Biden's stance towards Israel. Now, I don't know how you see this. I look at Joe Biden's stance towards Israel as lukewarm at the very best. I don't think he is correct on Israel, and I don't think he uh, is handling it well at all, but that's because I'm, I guess, more pro-Israel than he is. The Democrats are not. His voters are not. In a place like Michigan, They can't stand his stance on Israel, and they oppose it overwhelmingly. Now, why I think this is a dangerous position for Donald Trump is because Joe Biden has supporters who are skeptical of his support of Israel, a a support he walks away from in baby steps seemingly every single day. About 57% of the voters who are favoring a ceasefire in Michigan. They want uh, the Israel-Palestine thing to be a uh, to go into a ceasefire. About 57% of those said they favor Joe Biden. 27% favor Trump. 15% are undecided. Man, I don't know. I, I'm pretty skeptical of that holding up. You're telling me that 15% of voters in a state like Michigan, a swing state, are going to hold out in the middle of an intense election because of his support from, for Israel, you know, what will wind up being close to a year ago? I don't know. I don't think I buy it. I will be surprised if those voters go from Biden to Trump, who is obviously more supportive of Israel than Biden is. It just makes me think that right now they're trying to punish Biden. They're trying to send a message to Biden. But I I certainly believe many of these, if not all of these voters, are going to wind up coming home to Joe Biden if it's a close race or Kamala Harris or Gavin Newsom or whoever, you know, Michelle Obama, whoever it winds up being. So these leads that you see, close leads in swing states, that weakness among Democrats for Biden might actually be a good sign for Biden and a reason for Trump to worry a little bit. We'll watch it, though, as we go forward. We've spent a lot of time on the everything else going on, even though South Carolina is tomorrow. Let's get into South Carolina here in today's focus. And let's start with what this race looks like. And I'm not hiding anything from you here. I, I, I'm not burying the lead. I think you know what these polls look like. This, of course, is Nikki Haley's home state. She hoped her path to competitiveness in this primary was to win in New Hampshire or be very close in New Hampshire and turn that into a victory in her home state in in South Carolina, or at least a very close showing. Polls just are not supporting that result. 
She had mentioned herself trying to improve on her New Hampshire results, trying to keep it closer than she did in New Hampshire, which I believe was 11 points, if my memory serves. Um, that does not look like that's going to happen here. Uh, let me give you some of the recent polls. Trafalgar had this at 63-34, to 34, a 29-point lead for Donald Trump. Insider advantage, which has been very optimistic, I would say, for Haley, both in New Hampshire and in South Carolina, still has Nikki Haley down 60-38, to 38, a 22-point lead. Uh, the Hill uh, and Emerson have a poll out 61-39 for Donald Trump, a 22-point lead. And US, USA Today Suffolk has a poll out 63-35, to 35, a 28-point lead. Look, at this point, if you're Nikki Haley, you're trying to keep this thing closer than the polls and maybe you try to spin that as a win. We'll get into her path going forward in, in a second. The average poll has it at 61.8 to 36.5, according to uh, Real Clear Politics. That's a 25.3% lead for Donald Trump. Um, now, what does this mean exactly? Well, it means that Nikki Haley is in severe trouble, right? We know she's in trouble. And what she's tried to do is really play toward the anti-Trump side of the electorate. And those people do exist. It's not 0% of the party. It's just not nearly enough to win. Now, Haley went after Trump basically on his stance on Russia. This, is a, this has been a common attack from the left, as you know, for a long time. And it's somewhat of a, a natural place for Haley to attack Trump, right? Like she's been very strong on foreign policy. She's definitely a hawk. She has a hawkish stance. She's had that the whole time. And to her credit, she hasn't tried to hide from it, but it's just not consistent with where the party is at this point. She basically tried to hit Trump on saying it took him a while to mention the, the death of, of Navalny in Russia. She says Trump is weak in the knees when it comes to Russia. She says that he is siding with a dictator who kills his political opponents. Again, these attacks sound pretty darn familiar if you remember the 2016 and 2020 general elections. These attacks coming from Democrats on Russia. It's just something that I don't think can possibly work if you're trying to actually win the Republican primary. And I don't know if that's exactly what she's doing right now. She's not running a Liz Cheney type campaign. She's not constantly on attack on Trump on everything, but she doesn't seem to be any longer trying to walk the line where she could attract some Trump supporters. She doesn't seem to be able to do that. She tried it for a while. It doesn't seem to be working. And another part of this is, you know, only about 5% of voters in South Carolina say that foreign policy is the most important issue facing the country. So, the fact that she's making that the priority in her campaign is really just something that's difficult to maintain and difficult to win using that sort of profile. Her travel schedule points, though, to a person who seems to be staying in this race. Remember, she's got a lot of money. And as I mentioned at the top, we're only 11 days away from Super Tuesday. If you've made it this far, this gap between New Hampshire and South Carolina is long. It was not a fun time, I don't think, for Nikki Haley. She was unable to make up ground. If you've made it through that, though, why wouldn't you go for the next 11 days, get to Super Tuesday, and see what happens? Can you be competitive? Can you pick up some delegates? Again, I think you need to win five states to be able to really have any 
legitimate chance to even get a vote uh, up uh, when you get your name on the ballots at the R, uh, at the convention. So I, I don't know where those five states are for her to win. It doesn't seem like they exist, but she is going to spend her time in places she believes uh, she can perform the best possible in these primaries. Um, you know, a lot of this travel that she has planned are in areas where Trump performed poorly in 2016, places where, you know, Cruz or Rubio or even Kasich won uh, in certain counties. Um, she's going to places that have open primaries where maybe some Democrats or independents can get in there and try to sway the race. And she's looking, of course, to places where, you know, overrepresentation for high college uh, education populations. These are all things where she'll perform better than she will in other areas, but still, there does not seem to be the coalition there possible to make her actually competitive. And this is reflected, again, in the betting markets as well as the polls. The polls have Donald Trump way, way ahead for this nomination, and the Republican primary does not look to be competitive at all. The betting markets have it at 87% for Trump, 7% for Nikki Haley. Now, uh, you know, Ron DeSantis is still in there at 1%. Again, you do have this outlier possibility with Donald Trump facing all these legal issues. Do they th get him thrown off the ballot somewhere? Uh, is there some eligibility thing that happens? Is he thrown in prison and his, and his support starts to dry up for some reason? Look, I don't think that's happening in the primary. The general election is a completely different question on that. I don't think we have any idea how that's going to play out. But at the end of the day, Nikki Haley is, you know, it's not... It's not like she's going into a game where she's a severe underdog. You know, uh, you know, she is uh, some small college going up against Michigan. It's not even that. It, it's it, the game's already started. We're in the third quarter. They're down. She's down twenty-eight to three. Uh, you know, Patriots fans will tell you. You know, stranger things have happened once, but ninety-nine point nine percent of of teams that lead by this much at this time, wind up going on to win the game. And that's where Trump is. I mean, this would be a monumental, historic choke of proportions that would be remembered until the end of time if he were to lose this nomination at this point. It's not impossible. And considering the fact that the entire government apparatus seems to exist solely to destroy him, uh, I can see why if you're one of his opponents... Why not stay in the race? If you're Nikki Haley, why not stay in the race, see what happens. Maybe something unforeseen happens and his, his candidacy crumbles. It's just hard to see how that could occur. Republican primary voters are in a position where if Donald Trump is an option, they want him as the candidate. That is where we are as we enter South Carolina and we go on to future races. It's possible something could happen, but the loss from, for Donald Trump when we're talking about this nomination is much more likely to come from some unforeseen legal uh, externality than anything that can actually happen in a normal race. But we will see what happens in South Carolina this weekend, and we'll be back with more on Stu Does America, the radio show, and State of the Race next week. Uh, good luck to everybody in South Carolina, and we will see you with the results on Monday.